of you know, we've taken a break for the Christmas season from our uh, weekly study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Gospel of Matthew. I believe we've left off at Matthew 17. After Christmas time, we'll go back and pick up where we left off. That's what we do, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible. And so now we're focusing on Christmas and the joy and the peace when Christ entered the world to come and save us. Uh, let's go to him with a word of prayer. Now, Father God, as we turn our hearts toward your living, God-breathed word, we always acknowledge in our hearts this is not from earth. It doesn't have its origin in any man. But, Father, it's your spirit that breathed life, uh, purposed it, for our souls to raise us to a life that can never die, to wash away our sins and reconcile us to yourself. That's what Christmas is all about. So help us, God, as we walk through the passage where all the trouble began and how you went about to fix it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. I was recently reading about sinkholes. They're so scary, aren't they? They're awful. They just the ground just opens up. There's some kind of drainage problem underneath and erosion happens in a weird way and suddenly the earth collapses leaving a big fat hole and hopefully you don't happen to be anywhere in the vicinity when the earth all around you is sinking sand. And so like a couple in High Springs, Florida, that this recently happened, they were out on their ATVs, and here's a slide of the rescue attempt. There they uh, plummeted uh, beneath the earth 40 feet into water that they needed to swim in. It was so deep. And the good news is that the man and the woman, after a lengthy rescue, uh, they were pulled uh, safely above ground. And amazingly, uh, they were not injured in any major way. They didn't have to go to the hospital at all. And so here you have a man and a woman who are in a forested area surrounded by trees. And they take an unforeseen fall. They're out for a good time. Little do they know, they're headed uh, for a pit, and they fall into it. Well, thank you for that slide, by the way. Uh, sound familiar? Well, it should, because it's the gospel story, at least the bad news that comes before the good news. And it wasn't in High Springs, Florida. It was in a garden called Eden. And the man and the woman, they have names. There are parents, the first human couple. Adam and Eve, they were lured away from the solid ground. They were out, you know, taking a wild ride there. And yes, through their one disobedience, the earth opened up 
and in a spiritual sense swallowed them all into a, a dark abyss called the fall. That's why we call it the fall. And so through one man's sin, says the Bible, through one man's disobedience, sin entered the world and death through sin and death spread to all men and women because all have sinned. That's Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, the foundation of the problem which precipitates the need for rescue which is called Christmas, that God would be the one to descend down into the abyss to rescue helpless people. How are they ever going to get out on their own? They're helpless. They're powerless. They're treading water 40 feet below the earth's surface. There's nothing they can do to get out. They will die unless somebody from above descends and intervenes down, picks them up, and to do for them what they can't do for themselves, which is the gospel message indeed. Jesus, the Son of God, our great first responder. And so here in Genesis 3, we are going to... Oh, you like that little comment there. <laughs> All right, yeah. So Genesis chapter 3 lets us know, of course, how things got started. And God looked around and said, very good in the first few chapters of the Bible. I'll let you know how something very good suddenly became very bad. First three chapters. And then the, the rest of the 1186 chapters in the Bible tell you how God went about to fix the problem. It's called the gospel. Cover to cover. 40 different authors got inspired over the span of, oh, what is it, 1,800 years, 66 books, one message. God loved us so much that he gave his only son to come down from heaven to descend into the sinkhole of our shame and depravity and sin and condemnation to rescue us to raise us up. He said, if anybody believes in me, I will raise him up on the last day. If we believe in him, we will never die. That's the message of Christmas. And so we're going to walk through the whole incident there in Genesis chapter 3, where believe it or not, the very first Christmas greeting goes to the devil. God announces Christmas for the first time in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 to the enemy who caused the need for Christmas to come about. And he just lets him know it doesn't end at the bottom of some uh, sinkhole. It ends with whosoever believes will be raised up and saved and put right with God. So we're going to start here, walk through the rescue story, see what led up to uh, that sad event, and then hear the happy announcement that the devil's days and death included are numbered. And that. So it all starts with a serpent and a lie. Let's go to Genesis 3, verses 1 through 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God has made, had made. He said to the woman, here's the opening line, it's so useful, it's even used today. 
Did God really say, does the word of God really say that? Is that what the verse really means? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. We're free to eat from any tree. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from one tree, the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So we're going to park there. We'll go along as the story unfolds here and uh, uh, see what we have. First note takers is the strategy of Satan, a.k.a. the adversary which is uh, Satan. In the Hebrew, it means enemy. Or the devil, from the Greek word, which means to slander, to lie, and you catch him doing uh, what he is named for, uh, slandering and lying about God to God's beloved creation there right before us. And so... Yes, indeed, um, you know the, the saying, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Well, arsenic by any other name would be as deadly as ever. So whatever you call him, he goes by several names in the Bible. Uh, the serpent creature that is not um, a snake in the beginning, some kind of creature becomes snake-like through the process here of Satan using this creature to kind of disguise himself and communicate with Eve. We'll talk more about that. But yeah, he's called the great dragon. He's called the devil. He's called Satan. Uh, as it says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, the great dragon, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world and hears where it all started. This is where he started deceiving. Now, Eve doesn't seem surprised that this serpent, called some kind of creature that lives in the Garden of Eden, is speaking to her. Uh, because Adam and Eve, as the commentators suggest, are used to talking to uh, divine, heaven-sent creatures that take the form of man. That's what cherubim and seraphim and angels do, and they communicate. And, and so she's not at all surprised that this serpent is communicating with her. And the serpent is going to kind of be associated with the devil who is using it or possessing it. Now, it wouldn't be the first time that some kind of creature was able to communicate, you know, Balaam's, not Balaam's, but uh, yeah, Balaam's donkey, right, was given speech. And so it's quite possible uh, that this created thing was speaking or made to speak. But see, the point isn't how did it communicate whatever it was, the point is what it said, not how did it say it to Eve. That's the point. Now, it's noted for its craftiness. The word means that it's savvy, it's clever of all the animals, which is going to stand for both the creature the devil is using and the devil himself. The word crafty, it just means sort of shrewd. Maybe in a good way. So some of the animals, of course, that God has made are more clever than other animals. I was reading about this border collie. This border collie called Chaser can I distinguish between 1,000 items. You can tell the dog, go get the green spotted dinosaur. 
and it will pick it up with everything laying around the house. 1,000 items. That's clever, right? So then I Googled, what's the dumbest animal? (laughs) And it's a panda. No, I didn't know why, but you're going to laugh when you find out how dumb it is. It's a carnivore, but it's too dumb to know that. (laughs) And so it only eats leaves, and and it has to continue to eat leaves and leaves and leaves, even though it has carnivore teeth and a carnivore's digestive system. And so the scientists are like, what's wrong with it? And they've concluded, it's dumb. (laughs) So that's, just know this, whatever the serpent was before the fall, it wasn't a panda. All right. It was more like a border collie, which lends itself to the temptation because she's like, oh, it's clever, it's smart, and it's able to communicate in some way. But like I said, it really isn't the point about how did the serpent talk, you know? It's what the, the serpent said. That's the problem. Crafty indeed, ingenious. Oh, ingenious. Because once you doubt, the veracity, the truthfulness of the scriptures. It's game over. It's game over. The anchor for your soul, Hebrews chapter 6, the anchor for your soul is the word of God. If you're parked downstream on the Niagara River, and what you can be on the Niagara River before a certain point, and there's signs posted that don't go any further, but if you're, you've got an anchor there and the anchor gives way, You are going downstream and you are headed for a fall. And that's exactly what happened here. He was able to unanchor her and him from the truthfulness of God's word by planting the seed. And is that what it really means? You know, there's other interpretations, you know. So really, maybe he's not saying what he's clearly saying. You know, that's just part of the whole deal. And so... Once you undermine the authority of God's word, it's dead man walking. You're just going to be adrift on the open sea and nothing good happens. When that happens, did God really say, and that's the origin, sadly, of some of where your children have progressed in their Christian walk and they've come to a whole new enlightened way of seeing the gospel that was once for all entrusted to us. Once for all, there is no other gospel unless you want to uh, change it so that you can have a more comfortable, a more popular, a more convenient life. So we take out the offensive part like hell and repentance and leaving lifestyles that God says, this isn't the way I created you to be. You can't live that way and inherit the kingdom of God. And the devil says, oh, really? Is that what it really means? What does that really mean? The word of God really means what it really means. Amen? Amen. And so, yeah, you know, a gospel, the gospel message is the agency by which we're saved. It pleased God through preaching. The message is what saves us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that. Paul tells Timothy, hold close to your doctrine, my friend, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
It saves you. A gospel has boundaries. It's a thing, and it can save you as it is. But if you change it, it's no longer the thing it was, and now it can't do what it used to be able to do because it's something totally different. If you followed that, you had a good breakfast. <laughs> but you get it, right? Let me show you a picture of some life preservers. They're fake. And, and, and unscrupulous people in Turkey, uh, I showed you this before, stuffed them with cheap uh, packaging, which caused people to sink. And so they were selling them to desperate refugees who wanted to kind of float across into freedom. And so, I don't know, hundreds of people died as a result of putting on the fake life jacket because a fake life jacket cannot save you. A fake gospel as nice as it appears, and as cheap as it is, and it's cheap. You know, everybody can just come in, relax, enjoy the love of God. He just loves you so much, you don't got to change, you don't got to be born again, nothing, everybody gets saved. That's one of those best, right? So we can move on. Notice the trick question. Lucifer, <laughs> he was the head worship leader in heaven, according to Ezekiel 38, but he wanted God's job instead, according to Isaiah chapter 14. He knows full well what God has said, and look what he does to just kind of appear less threatening. I'm just mixed up. I've been listening to some fake news, and it's my understanding, Eve, that God has banned all these trees. Is it true? That God said, we can't eat from any of the trees? Look how he twisted it. See, I'm not here to uh, kind of trick you. I'm not here to confront you. I'm not here to cause you any trouble. I'm just a poor, misguided Lucifer who's trying to find my way and to under come to God's defense, Eve, please, because I'm just a victim of misinformation. That's all it is. Just talk to me, okay? Talk to me. And she does. Oh, she says, oh, no, 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 no. We can eat from any tree. There's just one tree in the middle that he said off limits. Don't even go near it. Don't touch it or you'll die. And so why put that tree there? Oh, of course, it's easy. Free will. We have to have free will. We must exercise choice for genuine love to be genuine love. <laughs> you, every time they walked by and saw that beautiful with the beautiful, luscious, delicious-looking fruit. And they said, no. They were saying, I do, God, and I don't to others. That's called fidelity. I choose you. But see, they had to exercise. They had to have an element where they could exercise free will, and God provided it. And so that love could be love. And I love that she said, and by the way, he said, don't even touch it. And commentators said, oh, she's adding to the word of God. Oh, no, I think you're overreacting. I think God surely said, you know what? And don't even touch it. Of course, it's a border. He always gives you borders and hurdles before you destroy yourself, and you have to jump over all of them. If you never touch the bottle... You're not going to get drunk anymore because you don't touch the bottle. You'd have to touch the bottle. So he said, don't even touch it. Cut to the chase. Isn't that simple, right? And you can fill in the template of that idea with your 
darling, besetting sin of yours. Okay, so moving along, four through six, here it comes, you know, soften her up, get her distracted, sow a seed of doubt, disarm her. Now it's time to go in for the kill. You're not going to die. I guarantee it. That's why I say surely, 100%. I know it. Not going to happen. The serpent says to the woman, God, here's, here's why he's the devil, which means slanderer. He's going to slander God. Now, you know what? Got God. <laughs> he just, he's something else. He knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open. If he can't have that, why would he want your eyes open? And you'll be like him. And you'll know stuff like good from evil, good and evil. So when the woman's kind of following the bouncing ball, when the woman sees that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining, for growing, for learning, for good, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Now he's shown up or she's gone to him. And now he's there and he eats it. And, you know, first thing I want to say, well, we've gone from the strategy of Satan to the fall of man, no takers. And, of course, you know, God will hold him personally responsible. All through the New Testament, it's through the man. It's one man's sin. What about her? He says, in a marriage relationship, I'm going to hold the man, the husband, responsible. Uh, did she uh, sin? Yeah, but guess what? He doesn't bring that up. He brings it up that Adam, without deception, with full knowledge and eyes wide open, in a sense, uh, Adam knew exactly what he was doing. She was clouded. And so he bears the responsibility. And so once the groundwork has been effectively laid, uh, he has got her talking, he softened her up, as I've been saying, and are now off the full frontal assault. Now is to, to, to boldly, 100% uh, contradict the very thing that God has said. God said, you will die if you sin, and he says, no, you won't. Says who? The father of lies, as John 8 in Jesus, calls him in John chapter 8. So, as I've already said, God will say, you know, if you live in sexual immorality, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Period. There's no ands, ifs, buts, and in this case, and yeah. You know, it just says point blank. If you live in sexual immorality, and that's a characteristic of your life, you are not going to heaven. Period. Oh, no. Yes, you will. Of course you will. Certainly you will. By the way, that line is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, says that. And so, yeah, there's a million things that, you know, you'll end up in hell. No, you won't. <laughs> you'll end up destroying your life. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap from the flesh destruction. No, you won't. That's what he does. And, and of course, he has to take away the fear of the consequence of, of suffering something terrible. So he has to tell you the fear that's keeping you from crossing over the line is unnecessary. 
because you won't suffer. So he has to cloud the, the consequence of bad behavior by making you think you'll gain and not lose. And that's what he's doing here. And by the way, God is this big meanie. He's insecure. Uh, he wants to keep you from something. God wants to keep you from something that would benefit you. You would have some knowledge that you don't have. Now you would be more like him, and he can't have that. He's very insecure about his deity. And so, yeah, he's a big, mean dictator up there. And any time you have a thought unworthy of the character of the Most High God who is good, God is good, that's a quote, that's who he is. He's goodness incarnate. In him is no darkness, only light. So whenever we have a, a, a thought that, that, that impugns his character in any way, just know this. The devil's been around. Because that's what he does. That's what he does. So time to justify what she's about to do. You always do it. We will always say, even though I know I shouldn't step over the line, here are all the reasons why I think in this case... Uh, it's okay. And so she comes up with this. She looks at it and goes, well, it certainly, it looks desirable. And so she's following the pattern uh, that John lays out for sinning and the lust of the flesh. It's this appetite. It just, the appetite is going, hmm, looks pretty good. And number two, uh, she sees how beautiful it appears. So John calls that the lust of the eyes. Oh, wow, there's, there's an attraction there. And then she gives in, and she believes it will benefit her somehow. The pride of life, John would call that. So strike three, boom, she took it, and she ate it. Take and eat are two verbs that Jesus gives at the table. He takes these two verbs that destroyed us, and he re-speaks them in redemption. She took and ate, and he sits at the table, and he says, take and eat the remedy. The remedy. The remedy. So she could have escaped. All, all kinds of things could have happened, but she didn't. And, you know, people are like, why did he create the devil if he knew this was going to happen? And why did he let him go in the garden? And why did, why did he put them together if he knew all of this, right? First of all, you can ask him yourself because you have an appointment. And, and you are scheduled to once die and then be evaluated. You be evaluated, it's not his turn to be evaluated. You will stand before him and you will answer the questions, right? And at that time, if you want to say, why'd you even make a devil? You know, then go ahead. You can ask him. But I think you will not be asking any questions like that because C.S. Lewis said, when you get to heaven, your first two words are going to be, of course. You'll be able to understand all of that. And apparently, it was worth the risk to God. It was all worth some sort of risk. And he took the risk because it was worth it to see you in heaven. And so with all the mysterious things around, she, she, what was it like the first time she, she sinned? The first person to sin, the emotions, 
to realize, oh my word, I was duped, I've ruined my life, I've marred the paradise, I've, I've created problems, she probably doesn't understand this, uh, for the rest of the world and for my husband and sinned against the Lord, all those emotions. She goes running to Adam or Adam just shows up providentially, he's there now and who knows why he said, I'll join you. Well, she coaxed him. How do we know she coaxed him to do it? Because when they're getting judged later, it says, because, Lord speaking to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate. Uh, so she's involved. Whether she knows what she's doing or not, we'd like to believe that she's still deceived and thinks it's a good thing. Although she could have thought, whoopsies, <laughs> you know, and now misery <laughs> enjoys company. Right, And so, yeah, he gladly eats anyway. And so the New Testament does clarify that um, Eve was deceived, but he followed and he's responsible. Uh, verse 7, then their eyes were opened and they realized they're without clothes and so they sew fig leaves. Oh, nice try. Not going to work. <laughs> together and made coverings for themselves to think that that'll help the shame go away. Uh, nothing man can do will ever take away the shame of sinning before God except the covering God will provide. Verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden and God knows where they are, but he's using questions to draw them back and face the music and get them re restored. And so he's like, where are you? Adam, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Not the right answer already. Already. He, the fall has taken place in his heart and he's already confused and mixed up and not giving the truth. And so we've moved from the, the strategy of Satan to the fall of man to the consequences of sin. So eyes are open in the saddest possible way of that. Their eyes were already open to beauty and purity and goodness and righteousness and peace and joy and harmony. And now they're open, it would be like opening a deaf man's ears and all he hears is chaotic screaming. Now his ears are open. He doesn't hear a beautiful symphony, no. He just hears sirens and crying and weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what the sense of their eyes are now open to shame and pain and regret and remorse and death. All of these feelings now. That's what their eyes are open to. And so they realize they're unclosed. What's going on there? Well, let me help you with that thought. Well, what's going on with spiritual clothing? Because they were, they, you know, they were very different. The way they were eternal creatures. They weren't like us. Their, their bodies were changed after the fall. And so commentators like to point out that God clothes himself in light. Let me quote from Psalm 104, verse 2. God covers himself with light as a garment. All right? Do you see that? As a garment, it's like light, right? And so one commentator said, since we are created in God's image and in his glory, 
we share his light. And it will be restored. Do you know that we shine as bright as the sun in our Father's kingdom, to quote Jesus, after we are changed, right? So one writer said this, Dr. Barnhouse, he said, it's most probable that they were clothed in light before the fall, and when they sinned, the lights went out. Well, of course, what did you expect? He's the light of the world, the light of life, and you unplugged. And the lights went off, and it was kind of like this gorgeous peacock. I got a picture for you. Is this not just beautiful, right? You know what? I texted, I texted, I, I, I Googled. <laughs> There's a lot going on in here, sadly. I Googled peacock plucked, a plucked peacock. I up came a picture that I'm not showing you because it's so nasty and gross. And this is exactly what happened. This is what we used to look like. They're just feathers, but it's like a wow. It was the light of God. As raiment, as clothing that wrapped around us, we were emanating the glory of God like our Father. And then... Because of sin, we got plucked. Nasty. We can go back to the verses. Nasty, nasty for sure. And so they think, you know, what we're going to do. Well, in verse 7, the fashion industry is born. <laughs> and it's off to a bad, bad start, is it not? Fig leaves? Come on, Barb, I don't know. You're a seamstress. What do you think? Fig leaves? A little frail, right? And too small. All right. Good. And so, yeah, coverings like that are not going to work. But they sense that they're vulnerable and been exposed. The whole garden creation is looking at them. What have you done? So they cover up with the fig leaves. But you know what? Nice try. Uh, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood. You need blood. So God, not in our verses today, God is going to go and do something that will shock every creature in the garden. He's going to take one of the animals in paradise and he's going to call it over and in front of everybody, he's going to put his hand, the Lord Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus, he's going to put his hand on the head of the animal and then have it skinned. Blood in Eden to make coverings for the sinners, to cover their shame. It's the first picture of the cross in the Bible. Because to cover man's shame, there is no forgiveness without, there's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. So that's a picture pointing 4,000 years later to the Son of God being executed so that his covering of righteousness will clothe our sin-stained souls. This is the gospel right then and there. So that, you know, men love and women love the fig leaves of good works. I'm basically a good person. And I'm going to write a check to this hospital and get a wing named after me. And all of this nonsense, that's all. It can't take away the sins. It can cover up and make you look pretty with the leaves, but underneath is still a guilty sin-stained 
uh, soul. And so he has to ask, you know, he's going to come calling, verse 8. And of course, anybody, any deity in the Bible, any, any picture of God with a body is Jesus. God the Father has no body. He is spirit. And so Jesus Christ is the fullness of deity in bodily form. And so uh, he is the one before he incarnates himself into the womb of a virgin who's walking in the cool of the day with them, and he comes calling, and he has to kind of draw him out. Now, you know, where are you? As if he didn't know. He's saying, you, you, you got to come to me. Face me. Talk to me. I've got a plan. But you've got to own it. You've got to figure this out. You know, the fig uh, outfits are going to fail to fix the problem, right? And so in keeping with the gospel, it's God who has to initiate. It's God who comes calling. It's God who found you. You know, we were hiding in our fig leaf outfits, right? And so, yeah, he has to teach us how to repent and how to confess and how to trust in him. Verses 11 through 13. And he says, he said, okay, so who told you you were naked? Who, who told you about the lights going out? And he has to put it in the terms of what he was looking for. Uh, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Did you do the thing I told you not to do? I mean, because he can't figure out. He could have called back and said, yeah, I'm hiding behind the tree because I did the thing that you told me not to do. Oh, no. No, no, no. It's going to take God. He's had to almost beat it out of us. Tell me what you did. Yes or no. Did you do what I told you not to do? Yes or no. And they still don't get it. Watch. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to? A simple yes or no would do, sir. Uh, the man says, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some of the fruit, and yeah, okay, I ate it, I guess. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, Mrs. Adam, what's your excuse? Uh, what, what is this you've done? Tell me what you did. Did you or didn't you? Well, the woman says, the serpent deceived me. And he might have said, she might be implying the serpent that you put here. I didn't make any serpent. I didn't even invite the serpent. The serpent came to me. The devil made me do it. So the strategy of Satan, the fallen man, the consequences of sin, and the need of repentance. That's the way back. And the way back, oh, they're going to make it, they're going to do it the hard way, these guys. And so until we know the truth of the situation of our own depravity, our own responsibility of owning what it is that we're the problem. Nobody else. It's not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not your kids. It's not your dysfunctional family. It's not how you were feeling at the time. It's not how you were sinned against. None of it matters. It's you. He wants to hear from you. How did you contribute to the problem? How are you the problem? And so... Yeah, you've got to know what, we, what you've done, how serious it is, how desperate the situation, and how you're 100% responsible. So God's questions, he asks a lot in the Bible. He doesn't need any information. So he's asking as a teaching tool, let me help you uh, learn how to confess. Because, uh, guys, you don't know how to do it. Uh, it's so hard for you being so proud. And so 
He wants to help these two come back to the straight and narrow path. He wants them to feel broken. He wants them to, to feel some relief, to come out from the fig leaves and the trees and the hiding and the guilt and the shame. And the way you do it is through confessing. And the word means to agree with, to say the same thing as. And so he has to put the words in their mouths in the form of a question. So remember when King David did the terrible deed with Bathsheba? And her husband, that whole thing. And he says, for nine months, he did not confess his sin. It's just, you know, everything's going to work out. And God forgives and all of that. He didn't confess it. And he says in Psalm 32, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Your hand was heavy on me. I couldn't get out of bed. I had no energy. I was depressed as in the, the heat of summer. Just lifeless, listless. Right? I was suffering. Your hand was heavy upon me. Why? Because God's saying, talk to me. Face me, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and say the words, the truth. And don't tell me about somebody else and all the contributing factors. Talk to me about your own wretchedness so that the truth can set your heart free. Oh, it's terrible to admit and face how wicked we really are. But it's the first step to freedom. It's the step to being washed clean and forgiven. And so, yeah, that's what he's saying here. Come to me in a humble, broken spirit and don't tell me about everybody else. But we always do that. That's how we do it. And look at him. You know, did you break my command, yes or no, Adam? Just tell me. Did you do it? Did you do what I told you not to do? Yeah, and he, and he goes, the woman. That's the first thing out of his mouth. The woman, of course, she's the problem, right? And by the way, guess who gave me the woman? You, the woman you gave me, God. So there's a double problem going on here. Did I even want to be married? Did I even go looking for a wife? No, I didn't. You, you put me to sleep. You put me to sleep under a fig tree, as I recall. You put me into a sleep. What did you do? Great physician that you are. You, you put me under the knife. You slipped me open. Did I ask you to do that? No. I was a little lonely. I didn't say, open me up and take a rib out. And you take a rib out. And then you make this beautiful woman. And you bring her to me. She's the problem, God. And you're the problem for making her and bringing her to me. What does Proverbs say? A man's own folly ruins his life. But yet his heart rages against, fill in the blank. But his heart rages against the Lord. Always, there's always something. The sooner that you just shut your cell phone off, <laughs> the sooner you come clean 100% with no excuses and you drink the bitter cup of your own wretchedness, oh, oh you, you will be set free. You will, you will grow in leaps and bounds you never dreamed of. And what's keeping you from that is the convoluted understanding of why you're not really that bad of a guy or a gal. Oh, no, you are. You are. And the way to get through that into the resurrection part is to face that fact. Nothing in my hand I cling. 
simply to the cross I cling, something like that. Nothing in my hands I bring, <laughs> simply to the cross I cling. Oh, well, I'm not a musician. <laughs> yeah, so Mrs. Adam, yeah, the devil made me do it. You know, we're not talking about the devil, am I, Eve? I want to know yes or no, did you do it? The serpent. What? You let yourself be deceived. By the way, she's culpable. Anytime you're deceived, you're letting yourself be deceived, according to the Bible. You know way more than, than you claim to have known at the time. I was out of my mind. Oh, maybe it appeared that you were out of your mind. You certainly acted like you were out of your mind. But you knew, you knew what you were doing. You did. And you let yourself get there. Yeah. So what is this you have done? And so they just point the fingers. And God is still going to save them, which I find really wonderful. I love what uh, Psalm 51, David comes around and says, you know what, God? I was born in sin. I was conceived in sin. I was sinning in utero. I was sinning before I even got here. And against you and you only have I sinned. It's like, what about Bathsheba, David? What about Uriah? Oh, no, no. First and foremost, I'm the problem. I've been this way since before I was even born. I'm so messed up and so broken, and I've really let you down, and I've sinned against you only. It's me and you, nobody else. Ah, now the joy of his salvation is going to come to him because he's finally just faced the truth. He's been ruined by the fall. He has no hope. He can't blame anybody else. He's the problem. And now God is going to restore to him joy. That's the way out. Let's finish with the Christmas announcement here. We've made it to the hope of Christmas. So the strategy of Satan, the fall of man, the consequences of sin, the need of repentance, and voila, the last point, the hope of Christmas. A conqueror will come. A conqueror will be born of a virgin. Right there, let me explain. So the Lord addresses the devil, and only the Lord should be talking to the devil, nobody else. And so God doesn't ask him any questions. Why not? Because he's not teachable. He's not teachable, and he's not redeemable. So he doesn't need to, to question him, right? He just needs to reprimand him and serve him notice, which he does there. And so, yeah, the, ser the serpent, as I've been saying, is a sermon illustration. And he's going to say, first of all, you're going to go from a creature that every creature God has made to live on the earth has legs, really, to speak of. And he says, uh, except you, you're not going to have legs. And so he's speaking now both to the creature, as it were, that got used and the, 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 the spirit behind it, which is Satan, who, you know, we know that they... Uh, possessed the swine in the gospel story. And so maybe that's what's going on here. And he says, listen, you're going to be slithering around. You're going to be legless. <laughs> you know, all the other animals can get around, but you are going to be on your belly eating dust. And really, it's an idiom that says, I win, you lose. And he's using the animal, too, as kind of a visual, right? And so how horrified is our Adam and Eve, when they see what happens, he's transformed, the serpent thing, is transformed into, just picture like a boa, you know, and slinking off into the bushes there without any legs, just slithering away. 
maybe Adam's thinking, oh, no. Where next? <laughs> What's going to happen, right? And so, yeah, they're horrified by this. And he says, listen, you're going to crawl on your belly. Satan, like the snake that you just saw, Satan, by the way, you're still listening, right? You are going to be powerless against me. And here's the thing. Eating the dust is saying, Every, you are going to try to ruin things and be victorious for ages. And every time you are, you will be, you are destined to be defeated every single time. And what a burn. What a burn to the devil. Because every time he strikes, God turns it around to be used for his good redemptive purposes. Every time. He says, I want to kill Job. I want to kill everybody that he loves. I want to take away all his money in his bank account. And God says, go ahead. He's still going to love me. And then Satan goes wild and does killing, stealing, and destroying his life's work. And God says, now watch this. And now Job's life has been comfort and encouragement for billions of us. And then he rewards him in his last half of his life is better than his first and everything down to the crucifixion where Satan thinks, I got you now. I'm going to win this story, right? And the boomerang goes out. Christ dies and whoops, he's destroyed by the death of all sin. Now, let me say a couple things about what it means here. I'm going to put enmity between you, the devil, and the woman, meaning no more friendship with humans. They're, they're going to have, humans are now going to have an innate fear and apprehension of all things demonic. Naturally speaking, uh, barring the last hundred years where Satan has worked so hard to desensitize us through movies and media, right? But normally, God put it within our hearts, both of the serpent, especially women, right? And men. We have, we, do, we don't, especially like the serpents, and he put it in our, fear, in our hearts to fear the demonic, the occult, the sorcerer, right? To protect us. So he said, that's number one. And he says, and by the way, her seed, not, not the man's seed. Now, all through the Bible, when you talk about the progeny of man or, or genealogies, it's always the man's seed, always, 100% of the time, except this time, this time, and it will catch everybody's ear, the seed of the woman, right? Because the seed of the woman will be conceived with the Holy Spirit. And that God-man will be born to Mary. Look at this. <laughs> he says, you slayed the woman, but it's through the woman that you will be slayed. You see, you chose your first helpless victim, but guess what? One of her daughters is going to give birth to just her seed, just her ovum, her one cell of reproductive, uh, reproductive cell from Mary. God will unite himself with and become the human God-man so that he can present himself as a sinless human offering, sinless in that he's God, uh, offering that bleeds and dies because he's man. He comes together. And so we wrap up with this beautiful uh, promise of this coming Christmas. And, and let me say this, 
that Numbers 21. Why don't we have the uh, worship team come on up here and begin to play? Because we're going into to, to communion and it's perfect close of exactly where it's headed because what does he say, folks? He says, listen, there'll be a bit of a conflict. You will wound him in the heel. Now, the heel, of course, represents the cross where the spike went through his heel and all of Christ's sufferings really is a wound because you can't kill God. You can kill the human body God possessed there in Christ, but you can only wound God. He rises again. But in doing so, he crushes the devil's head by dying for sins. Now, how does this crush his head? Oh, man, I'm glad you asked. Listen, the power, the wages of sin, the reason we got to die and be judged and separated, and the whole reason for hell, right? is because of sin. But if sins are no more, and they've been paid for, and they've been taken away from you, that death is irrelevant. Why would you need to pay a penalty that's been paid? So now he's disarmed him. There's no reason for anything that he does. The guilt, the condemnation, the fear of death, hell, judgment, wrath, it's all been paid for, taken out on Christ, who became the curse. Now, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and, he, and he's trying to talk about his good works and all of that. Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to be born again, man. And then Jesus goes to this mind-blowing verse that ties right in here. He says, listen, I am just like when Moses, in Numbers 21, Nicodemus, and he knew it well, the people were dying from viper bites, snake bites, they deserved it. They were under God's judgment. And the vipers came in, bit them, and they're all dying. God says, Moses, here's the remedy. Put this bronze serpent on a pole, lift it up, tell everybody, just look at it. Just look at it. Just believe. In looking at it, you'll be fine. And whoever looked at it was, was cured. So Jesus tells Nicodemus, guess what, Nicodemus? I'm the serpent on the pole. I'm the curse. I will take on my body the curse of the devil, the curse of the fall, the curse of blaming everybody, the curse of stepping over the line, the death, the judgment that has to be paid because you've sinned will go on me and I'll let God judge me instead of them. Now, devil, where's death? <laughs> he had the power of death. The de he has no more power. You can't even be under his... Uh, spell to do his work anymore because the new nature doesn't want to be with him. The new nature doesn't want to be addicted to sin. He's lost on every level. He can't condemn you. He can't make you fear. He can't force you to sin. He can't condemn you. He can't stand at the throne and say, you know what he did? Let me tell you. And Jesus will say, I died for that. He didn't do anything. He died for everything so that you can be perfected once. Through one sacrifice, he perfected forever all those who draw close to him. That's amazing. That's good news, you see. Yes, through his heel, he suffered. But he will rise and crush the head of his enemy and ours. Once and for all, 
so that we could live forever reconciled to God our Father. Without fear, let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for your great love. We look to you now to seal in our hearts these wonderful Christmas truths. God, we thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 